The Bible says that God placed eternity in all of our hearts. God created us to worship. All of us worship something because we were created to worship and give devotion to something by God. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The Bible says that God placed eternity in each of our hearts. He created us to worship. But are we exchanging our devotion to the living and eternal God for the temporary things of this world? King David's life is a great example for us to look at. Here's Pastor Chadwick continuing our study of the life of King David. Thank you for being here. The question is, what is worship? What is a worshiper of the living God? Uh, We're going to look at that throughout this message through the life of King David. I've been in John the fourth chapter, and if you know that very special story, Jesus is going from Jerusalem north to Galilee where he was born and raised, um, and he's going through an area called Samaria, which had people that were half Jewish, half Gentiles, and the Jews absolutely hated them. So Jesus encounters a woman at the well at Sychar, a small village in Samaria, and they start talking about the presence of God. She says, well, here in Samaria, we worship on Mount Gerizim and the temple we built there because you Jews won't let us worship in Jerusalem at your temple. What about that? And Jesus responds in some wonderful ways. In John, the fourth chapter, verses 22 and 23 and 24, he says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So hold on to the spirit and truth thing. We'll come back to that at the end of the message. But the point here is Jesus says to the woman, there's going to be a day when worship's not going to be limited to a place, Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. There's going to come a day when you can worship freely, anytime, place, all day long. The Father, in fact, is seeking true worshipers. Now, people ask me all the time questions like, am I supposed to marry so-and-so? Or what job should I take? And I don't know the will of God for you in those areas, but I do know this part of the will of God for your life. The Father is seeking true worshipers. The Father wills that his followers be true worshipers. So what does that mean? Human beings were created to worship something. The Bible says that God placed eternity in all of our hearts. God created us to worship. Now, we worship something. Either it's other people's opinions, job success, power, prestige, possessions, whatever it might be. All of us worship something because we were created to worship and give devotion to something by God. David might give us a clue into what this worship should look like. David was described in 1 Samuel 13 before he was anointed king over Israel as a man after God's own heart. That's what a worshiper is, a man or a woman after God's own heart. So what does that look at? Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 23 as a view of understanding David as a worshiper, what it looks like to be a true worshiper of God. But in order to understand these verses, let me give you their context. 
First of all, you have to go way back to Mount Sinai when Moses is given the law by God, and God instructs Moses to have certain people build a tabernacle, these elaborate tents, but in the center be what's called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was not made up by Indiana Jones. It was made up by Almighty God. Let me describe for you the Ark of the Covenant. Better yet, let me show you a picture of it. It was two feet by four feet. It's a box. That's what the word ark means. The bottom part is acacia wood overlaid by gold. The lid is pure gold. On top of the lid are two angels' wings, symbolizing they do the work of God. And at the center of the angels' wings is what's called the mercy seat. That's the place where God sits. He sits on a mercy seat which means he doesn't give us what we deserve. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give us what we deserve? That's the mercy seat. And then there are four ringlets on each corner of the ark and a wood pole that is through each of those ringlets to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites as the ark of the covenant is transported from Sinai into the promised land. Now, the ark of the covenant is the very presence of God. If you look at how the tents were told by God to be constructed around the ark, movability from Sinai to the promised land, you'll see the ark of the covenant was placed inside the holy of holy tents as the presence of God. When people would wake up in the morning, the first thing they would see is the ark of the covenant inside that holy of holies tent, the symbol of the very presence of God. And whenever it was moved, it had to be moved by Levites on their shoulders through those poles. That's very important. And no one could come into the presence of the holy God of the universe without dying. Clearly, God instructed everyone who had the opportunity of coming into the presence to be cleansed of their sins or they couldn't come into his presence. Two people, especially, Moses, the leader, would commune with God before the Ark of the Covenant, but always in a cloud because no one can see the face of God as a sinful human being before a holy God and live. The other person was the high priest who once a year would kill a perfect, pure, unblemished lamb. That's why sometimes those of you who are spiritual seekers or those of you who are biblically illiterate hear us talk about worshiping the lamb of God. Jesus was the perfect lamb of God who sacrificed, forgave us of our sins. Every year, the Jews would kill a perfect, unblemished lamb That blood would be brought into the Ark of the Covenant only by the high priest, but after he went through extraordinary cleansing ceremonies to make sure he was pure before a holy God, and then he would place that blood on the mercy seat. So the people would have a day of atonement, a Yom Kippur, a day where they were forgiven of their sins because of the shed blood of the Lamb. But the high priest could only go into the presence of God after going through cleansing ceremonies, and then they would still tie a rope around his foot just in case he wasn't cleansed enough. And if he died in the presence of God, he could be yanked out by the people. So it was very important to understand, coming into the presence of a holy God before the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God himself. Now, having understood that, when the Israelites finally got into the Promised Land, Saul was made king. The Ark of the Covenant was set up in a tent in a place called Shiloh, and there the people came and worshiped God on a regular basis. Well, one day, Saul is in battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines are winning the battle. So Saul says, let me get the Ark of the Covenant, the very powerful presence of God, to go with us in battle, and we'll surely win. 
That's 1 Samuel 4 through 7. And Saul does that, but God will have no part of using him as a lucky charm. It's like some of you put a cross around your neck and you kind of touch it all day long hoping God might bless you. That's using God as a lucky charm. It doesn't work. In fact, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and took it into their land. But after a few days of the presence of God being amidst the godless unbelievers called the Philistines, they started getting sick, ill, and tumors breaking out all over their body. They pretty soon convinced themselves, this is because we have this silly ark among ourselves. We need to get rid of it. So they put it on a cart and took it back into Israel to a city called Kiriath-Jerim, and they left it there. And it stayed there under Saul's tutelage for 20 years. Meanwhile, David finally becomes king over all of Israel. Saul dies in battle. He has a son named Ishbosheth, who's crowned by the northern kingdom to be the king. But David's crowned by the southern people to be the king. So David comes up with an ingenious scheme to unite the nation. First of all, politically, he knows they need a center, a capital city of their political life. Jerusalem's held partly by the Jews, but the higher mountain, Mount Zion, where the present temple is built, on Mount Zion, it was controlled by the Jebusites, and it was impossible to overtake them because they had the higher ground. David came up with an ingenious scheme, finding a water course that he went through with some of his men, and the Jebusites awakened the next morning and found David's army all over Mount Zion, and they had to yield. So David captured Jerusalem, the capital city, and that became the center of all political life. But David said, I need some kind of spiritual entity to unite the people spiritually. I have Jerusalem politically. I need something spiritually. The Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God. It's in Kiriath-Jerim. So he sends word to the people overlooking the Ark in Kiriath-Jerim. It's Abinadab, who's a priest, and his two sons, Ahio, A-H-I-O, not the state in our union, and Uzzah, his brother. So the word comes to Kiriath-Jerim that they want the ark to come back to Jerusalem as a way of uniting the people spiritually. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. They probably even have a little bit of a Latino sound, don't you think, huh? And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there because of the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. 
And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and fattened the animal. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his own house. And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you've spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So, so what we have in these verses, in my opinion, are three different kinds of worshipers. Two, God finds offensive. The third one is the way God wants us to understand worship. The first kind of worshiper is what I'll call Uzzah worship. Uzzah worship. Abinadab is his dad. He is a priest. The word comes to Uzzah and his brother Ahio, bring back the ark. So they put the ark on a cart like it was brought to them from the Philistines. In case you didn't know, the Philistines were the ones who invented the whole cart idea. Wheels and carrying something in a cart was a Philistine invention. So the ark is placed on a cart and started to go back toward Jerusalem. Ahio, one of the brothers, is ahead of the cart, enjoying and celebrating bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Uzzah's actually on the cart. They hit a hole, the ark starts to wobble, Uzzah sticks his hand out somehow to steady it, and immediately he's struck by God and dead. And some of you cry out, that just doesn't seem fair. Well, let me tell you one thing about fairness. Fairness was lost in the Garden of Eden. Fairness is in the sight of God, too. And here's what you need to understand, folks, as you think that's not fair with Uzzah. God is a holy God. Moses could only appear before him in a cloud. The high priest only after elaborate cleansing. And then no one else could come into his presence without fear of death. The problem with Uzzah and Ahio and his daddy Abinadab is they didn't know, and they should have known as priests who had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible available to them, that the ark could only be carried by Levites on poles. 
not casually placed on a Philistine cart. The problem with Uzzah was he casually touched the ark and he did not understand from Numbers 4.15 and other places that the ark should only be carried by Levites, not priests. You know, as I read this story about Uzzah, I'm not so much surprised that Uzzah is dead. I'm more surprised I'm alive. As I think about the ways that I casually worship Almighty God. Now, the purpose of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. You need to know for the next minutes I'm going to do the latter. I want to challenge you whether you casually worship the holy God of this universe. What most Americans do is casually worship the Lord God of this universe. Let me ask you some pointed questions. How do you spend your hours before you come to corporately worship? Do you go see movies or watch television programs that almighty holy God would never want you to watch in the first place? But you use that as what you do before you come into his holy presence right now. Do you casually come in late? Is that a casual attitude toward holy worship of a holy God? Oh, they're just singing. Do you ever come in even early before the service begins and spend some time saying, God, cleanse my heart, confessing your sins to an almighty God? listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about what it really means to be lucky. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope. David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen. And, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Tom Westboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals. And, and we just thank you, Moments of Hope, and just this couldn't be, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. And, you know, uh, the, the first call we made uh, when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the Moments of Hope. And it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes. And so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom. And not only that, but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the Dream Center now. 
This week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seeds you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jen. Great being with you too. David, you titled this morning's e-devotion, Luck is the Religion of the Lazy. That's quite a statement, David. Yeah, I don't know who said it first. I I think Marilyn and I actually were watching a television show one time and heard it, and I jotted it down because I really liked it a lot. Mm. Then the question comes, well, what's it trying to say? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that we are to work and work hard, hardly as if the Lord himself is our daily boss overseeing all of our work. Our desire is to please him. I think that comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Most often, good things come to people who work hard and live righteously. Jen, may I say that again? Yes. Good things most often come to people who work hard and live righteously. Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived in Proverbs chapter 6, says, look at the ant. You know, observe the ant, how they just daily go through their work discipline and routine, then over a long period of time have stored up enough stuff to allow them to live easily for the rest of their lives. How much more should we follow the example of the ant for those of us who are children of God? See, lazy people rely on luck. They just sit back and go, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Well, I think we more need to work for our futures and define them our Themselves. When lazy people often fail, they have no one to blame except themselves. But hardworking, righteous people rely on good hard work. They understand delayed gratification. They understand getting out of debt and storing up for the future. And they are the ones who most often succeed. Actually, that's another proverb, Proverbs 16, 9. Hardworking people are the ones who most often succeed. So if I could make a statement against a lot of the critical theory that's being advanced in our culture right now. It's basically trying to divide our culture into the oppressed and the oppressors. Mm -hmm. And what it's trying to defeat are things like personal responsibility, hard work, delayed gratification, et cetera, saying that's only for people who are of white privilege. It's not, folks. Mm -hmm. Those are basic values of life when practiced by anybody over a long period of time, most often lead to success. This is so powerful. And it reminds me of this scripture that we have good works laid before us into our future that we need to walk into and accomplish. And I can't remember exactly where that scripture is. I was trying to look it up here, but but there are good works for us to fulfill. They're not going to just happen to us. We need to step out and do them. This is a great challenge. Well, it's the message of personal responsibility. And you know, of course, God is sovereign and over yeah. control of everything, but that doesn't deny the fact that we must take responsibility for our own lives. Mm -hmm. And there's a verse in Ezekiel that says, no longer are we to blame our parents for what has happened to us. We are responsible ourselves for what has happened to us. And everybody, no matter what your past has been, needs to say, I hate what's happened to me, but I'm not defined by my past. I can make decisions today to work 
hard and depend upon the Lord. And then again, most often, when you work hard, live righteously, you are able to succeed. And I think that's the message I wanted to get across today. So powerful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, everyone. And remember, work hard today for the glory of Jesus and Jesus alone. If you'd like to receive these daily Davidisms in your inbox, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They'll arrive every morning at 7 a.m. They're free of charge from my heart to yours to give you a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly Hopecast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for revival in our city.